Welcome to Sense and Sensibility, the Inflation Guy podcast. I am Michael Ashton. I am the Inflation Guy, and I am your host. And today we're going to talk about the monthly CPI report, which came out this morning and was <laughs> one of the dealers wrote this afternoon that eh, it was a kind of a ho-hum report. And this ho-hum report was up 0.8% on headline half a percent on core, bringing the year-on-year figure to 7.9% headline inflation year-on-year, and 6.4% on core inflation. Once again, 40-something year highs. And that's what we now consider a ho-hum report, which I think is just sort of funny. Now, in this particular report, of course, we have this backdrop, which I'll get to in a second, of the Russia invasion of of the Ukraine, which only happened over the last 14 days and so did not affect today's number, which is for February. It will affect next month's number. And so this 7.9% is sort of a jumping off point for what March will bring us. Um, And Next month, we'll probably have a peak in the headline or in in the core inflation figure. Whether or not we get a peak in the headline inflation figure um, sort of depends a little bit on on how long energy prices continue to rally because of the Russia invasion of the Ukraine. But we're looking at food and energy a lot more this month than we had previously. And, and, and honestly, let, let's keep in mind that this inflation debacle that we are currently experiencing uh, is not Vladimir Putin's fault. Uh, we are seeing rapid rises in gasoline prices this month, rapid rises in raw food prices like wheat. Uh, and those things directly follow from the invasion of the Ukraine. But but we already had quite a bit of inflation before Russia ever even thought about the Ukraine. So we can't really pin this all on Vladimir. Um, but we are looking at food and energy in a little bit of a different way because ordinarily we, we, we sort of abstract beyond food and energy, right? So the reason that we look at core inflation the reason that economists look at core inflation is not because we think that people don't drive cars and it's not because we don't think that people eat food. It's because those things, food and energy, oscillate a bunch. They go up, they go down, they go up, they go down, and they tend to be, over, over a reasonable period of time, somewhat trendless. So they're mostly noise and very little signal. And so if you're trying to figure out what the real underlying trend is – then you want to take out the things which are mostly noise and not so much signal. And, and so that's the reason that we, we tend to look at core. But, but when those – and so when we have spikes like that, when we have energy that spikes like around the time of the first Gulf War uh, and we have you know, these, these brief but extreme spikes in energy, then it doesn't – it isn't – necessarily very important. And it is something that we can look past because short spikes in food and energy are things that that uh, processors, that people in between those raw goods and the final goods, uh, are things that they can sort of um, 
absorbed to some extent. Uh, if you are making Cheerios and you have a spike in energy prices, which is going to mean that cost you more to ship your Cheerios, more to package your Cheerios, if it's a short-term spike in energy, you probably don't pass that along because it's going to go right back down. And so you you realize that sometimes it's going to be in your favor, sometimes out of your favor and, and whatever. When you have spikes that aren't spikes that last for a long time, uh, when when food prices go up, not just for a month or two, but for an entire crop season or two, then those things start to percolate through and they get into other things that are outside those the uh, that are into the core. So if energy prices are very high for a while, then those packaging prices do start to go up. If food prices are very high for a while, then that eventually starts to factor into wages. Uh, and so and so we do get more of a knock on if this is not just a, a substantial move, but a persistent move. And when Russia invades Ukraine, then while that may or may not lead to a lasting increase in energy prices, it's likely to lead to a fairly lasting increase in, in wheat prices because there aren't going to be very many acres planted in Ukraine this spring. They're going to have other things on their mind, and Ukraine creates they, – they, they grow a lot of grain. And so – you know that that's that is significant, and and we and so we pay more attention now. We paid more attention this month. We'll pay more attention next month to things like the food and energy contribution. So in that vein, I can note that the CPI categories, food at home, uh, as well as food away from home, both went to forty-two year highs this month with the food at home being something like you know, close to 9% and food away from home being something like 7% year-on-year uh, rates of inflation. Those are obviously very high numbers. And one of the reasons, you know, if you sort of look at the chart, you'll see that food away from home tends to be kind of a smooth version of food at home. And that, again, shows illustrates what I was just talking about, that if you're running a restaurant – then to some extent you try to you don't want to change your menus all the time so you absorb some of the increases in in costs of of those raw goods and and sometimes you get a benefit when they go down uh, but when you have the persistent rise in prices then it has to pass through to your menu so so that's where we sort of saw that in food but outside of food and energy we also saw this month a continued pressure in rents uh, both owners equivalent rent and primary rents uh, continue to rise. On my model, the year-on-year -year rate, which is is getting up uh, up around five percent, is close to where we would think it would kind of max out. But it should go go flat at that level for quite a while. So you'll continue to get that upward pressure uh, on core inflation for a while. And and I'm not I'm not so convinced with my model that. I believe it couldn't go higher. It just, you know, up to now I've been expecting it to go higher and it has, but, you know, uh, owner's equivalent rent at 4.3% or so year on year, yeah, that's probably 
that's that's fairly substantial, and and I don't think it's going to get lots higher than that. I guess my gut tells me it'll get over five, but I've seen some forecasts of eight and nine. And I just don't I, I don't see that. I suppose it's possible. And, and look, we can go we could go through all the different categories because the reality is almost everything is up. Eighty you percent know, of the categories in the CPI are up are inflating faster than four percent. Uh, about a third of them are inflating past, uh, faster than 6%. Uh, there were some categories uh, that were down month on month in a non-seasonally adjusted basis. But when you kind of looked at it, you realized that, oh, that's just seasonal. So that we saw, for example, that uh, tomato prices were down 1.8% or something. But on a year-on-year basis, they were actually it actually accelerated slightly. And that tells you that, oh, okay, we sort of expect tomato prices in February to fall. And that kind of makes some sense. So everything is going up. What I find very interesting about this number is that this is the fourth month in a row looking at core now. So we've talked about food and energy, but let's look at the core. And the core for four months in a row has gone up somewhere between 0.5% and 0.6%. That's a fairly narrow spread. Now, it used to be we had a very narrow spread, but the spread was 0.2. And we'd have a bunch of 0.2s, and every once in a while we'd have a 0.1, and every once in a while we'd have a 0.3, but they were almost, they were almost always 0.2. So it was a very narrow spread. Well, now we're having that. We have, we're, we have stability in inflation at the moment. It's just stability uh, up here at 6 or 7%. And, and that's significant to me. It's, we've, we found what looks like a different and less pleasant equilibrium. Think about juggling balls, okay? If you are juggling, uh, there, there are many different patterns of juggling balls that are stable. You can juggle two balls, you can, but if you, if you move to juggling three balls, you instead of juggling in a circle, you kind of do a crisscross. Your right hand throws up and you catch on your left. Meanwhile, your left is throwing up, catching on your right, and you kind of do this weave. And there are stable patterns for four balls, five balls, six, whatever. But they're not the same patterns. So they're all stable, but once you've moved from one to the other, it's not so easy to move back. If you ever watched a juggler and they're juggling three balls and they say, throw me another one, you throw them the fourth ball, the pattern changes. Um, to get back to only juggling three, they have to change the pattern back again to a different equilibrium. And, and all those changes require energy, if you will. So we now are in a pattern where core inflation is running at something like 6%. And I think we'll, honestly, I think it will probably ebb from that. We'll probably be more at, at you know, five-ish for the year. I, I could be wrong. It's just a wild guess. But this is a new stable equilibrium at a higher level. And that's problematic because when you have something that's stable, again, it requires energy to move you away from that equilibrium. We don't want an equilibrium at 5 or 6% because it says that any kind of deviation is going to come back to 5 or 6%. We used to believe, anchored inflation expectations or whatever the cause, that the stable equilibrium was around 2%. And so if you got it a little, a little bit low, it would kind of pull higher. If you got it a little bit above that, it would go lower. And, and so that's 
one of the reasons that people made such a big deal when for a long period of time inflation was core inflation was below 2% and it seemed like the Fed couldn't get it up to that level. Well, they they succeeded. We we, we got it up to we got inflation up to 2%, but in putting all that extra energy to see if we could get exactly to where we thought the equilibrium was, we we messed it all up and we went to a totally new equilibrium. And that I think is is the problem. That's where we are right now. Now, speaking of the Fed, what does this all mean for the uh, the Federal Reserve? They're going to to meet shortly, and and almost certainly they're going to hike interest rates twenty five basis points. Uh, and the market, which at one point had been thinking the Fed would hike eight or nine times in a row and and a couple hundred basis points this year, that was always crazy. Um, and one of the reasons it was crazy is that, and if you've been watching the Fed long enough, you've seen this, the Fed is very, has a very low hurdle to add liquidity and to cut interest rates. They have a higher hurdle to raise interest rates, and they prefer to pause and look around. And the reason is that in it's sort of become an article of faith at the Federal Reserve that, you know, being a little bit too loose uh, doesn't break anything, or at least it doesn't break anything in the short term. We've now found out that it breaks things in the long term. But if you cut 100 basis points over the next several months, instead of cutting 50 basis points, you probably don't change things very much. But what we have seen in the past is that when the Fed goes from tightening 50 and said tightens 100, that bad things happen. Because we have built a system that relies very much on cheap leverage. And when the Fed rapidly withdraws that leverage or rapidly changes the cost of that leverage, then bad things can happen. While in entrepreneurial entrepreneur world, you want to move fast and break things, you don't want to do that if you're at the central bank. And so moving fast and breaking things is what they do not want to do. And accordingly, what the Fed is more likely to do in, in all circumstances, frankly, but but even now, even though they know they're behind the curve, their natural reaction is going to be to look for reasons to pause. So, for example, they're going to tighten 25 basis points, and then when the next meeting comes around, they're going to look around and they're going to say, you know, we don't know what, what the effect of Russia invading the Ukraine is going to be on the economy, and maybe we should wait a little bit and just assess that. Or maybe they'll go ahead and tighten another 25 basis points. And after a couple of those, they'll say, you know, we should we should step back and wait and see what happens, especially as inflation starts to come down because of base effects. They might say, you know, we maybe we're already getting the inflation. Maybe we're already getting this positive effect. Let's wait and see. And their decision to be more gradual on the upside, you know, as they as they tighten is is enhanced by the fact that the the chairman has to go in front of the microphone. And it's one thing to go in front of the microphone and say, hey, we've cut rates, so that means that many more people are going to have jobs and, uh, and money's going to be cheaper and we're going to lower interest rates, and that's good for your mortgage and so on. 
It's something else entirely different to go in front of the microphone and say, hey, we've raised interest rates. Some of you guys are going to lose your jobs because of it. And every, uh, you know, every uh, place you borrow money is going to charge you more. That's just not, that's not as much fun to do that. You know, it's, it's the job of the Fed is to take away the punch bowl before the party gets going. But the problem is that everyone likes having the party. And then the Fed doesn't mind being the one who supplies the punch bowl. It's no fun to be the one who takes it away. And when all of that happened in the darkness, when all of that happened in smoky rooms and we didn't hear about it, that was okay. The problem is that now this is all out in the light, everybody knows who's taking the punch bowl away, and that makes them very unpopular. Not saying that they're too immature and they will not do what they have to do. I'm not saying that. I'm saying it's a natural behavioral thing to want to go slow at doing things that are painful and unpleasant and and hiking rates a couple of hundred basis points or four or five hundred if you want to get interest rates close to normal um, is going to be unpleasant and it's going to lead to very bad market outcomes. Uh, you're going to have some crack-ups if you do that. You're going to have some hedge fund that gets too far over its skis and collapses like a long-term capital or something like that. You're going to have things that happen like that. You may even have industrial concerns that over-levered and, and have, have issues. Um, very hard to tell. But if you go slowly, then that sort of accident doesn't, doesn't necessarily uh, – it's less likely – to occur, or at least that's the thought process. Of course, going slow carries its own risks. It means that inflation, which is already here, is more likely to get permanently into people's psyche, and the Federal Reserve, which doesn't have much credibility at this point anyway, is going to lose even more credibility the longer this lasts. So there are risks on both sides, but again, behaviorally, it's just easier to be easier. So I believe that the Federal Reserve is going to tighten at this next meeting. And my, my gut, even though more than one tightening is priced into the next meeting, my gut is that they might take a pass. Uh, but in any event, they'll take a pass at the meeting after that. Um, I think that we'll get maybe, if we get 100 basis points of tightening in 2022, then I guess, I guess I'd be a little, that, that would be roughly what I would expect. Maybe I'd, I'd be slightly surprised that that's a little bit too much. I would be very surprised if it ends up being a lot more than that. So now I'm on record. I'm on record so many different ways of saying that, that I, I guess I can't really hide from it. If it turns out that the Fed, you know, ends up and hikes 200 bips tomorrow, then I guess I would, uh, I guess I'm, I'm on record and I'll just be wrong. But that's the way it goes. That's what happens when, uh, when you put something on the internet, it's there forever. And so that's all I have to say about this month's inflation report. And that's all for today's podcast. Uh, you can contact me if you'd like to argue with me. Um, I'm inflationguy at enduringinvestments.com. And you can follow me at Twitter, on Twitter at, at inflation underscore guy. You can follow the blog that's at mikeashton.wordpress.com. You can download the Inflation Guy mobile app from your Play Store or your Apple Apple iStore. Um, if you're curious about what uh, we are doing at Enduring Investments, uh, 
that has stuff to do with inflation and that concerns inflation, then come to EnduringInvestments.com. And most importantly, and always, and don't forget, defend your money. If inflation is coming for you, remember, you know a guy.